The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information regarding health care that doctors are talking about in doctors' lounges all across the country. The information that we share with you is important so that you can advocate for the health care of you and for your family. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Our organization stands up for health care freedom for all Americans and the doctor-patient relationship. We need your support so that we can continue to do what we do every week here on the show and every day around the country. Our website is triple W, the number, I'm sorry, triple W D, the number four PCfoundation.org. That's D4PCfoundation.org. So please join us on our website. Go to it. Please contribute generously so that we can continue to do the work we do. Today I have a special guest, uh, an old friend, dear friend, who has worked with me in healthcare issues for um, well over a decade. Um, uh, it's uh, Dr. Jeffrey English, who is the medical director of the Atlanta Neurologic Institute, the um, MS Center of Atlanta. Um, he is uh, obviously a neurologist, but he is also someone who has been uh, keenly uh, interested in healthcare issues, particularly in medical malpractice. And he, along with some other of our colleagues and I, worked towards trying to fix this problem uh, a, a while ago, and uh, it kind of uh, fell uh, on deaf ears and uh, fell by the wayside. So now we are in a much worse situation than we were when we started uh, working on this uh, over 10 years ago. And we're going to try to explain to you today why this has gotten to the point where it has gotten to and why it is important, not just here in Georgia, but around the country and how it hurts the health care of all Americans when this problem is out of control, which it is right now. So, Jeff, welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you, Hal. Good to, good to be back on. Yeah, it's been quite some time since we've had you back <laughs> on. We're in our 10th year of the show. It's hard to believe that uh, we've been doing this show for so long, and uh, it's it's been... It's been uh, crazy that we still have to do this because things are no better right so so jeff you know i i uh saw a a article that uh actually it was uh not an article but it was a bulletin that went out from the medical association of georgia about about medical malpractice here in georgia and how um we have really descended in uh, in terms of uh, what what uh, this issue has uh, done to healthcare and to doctors in particular, and and indirectly how it's affected patients. So why don't you 
um, go ahead and share with the audience what this issue is all about and and why this is actually a bad when when you have uh, a problem with medical malpractice and awards that are just out of control how this is really not a good thing for patients yeah i think we i mean it would be good to do uh maybe the next segment historically how this all evolved or devolved um over your and my uh, working together i think since uh, 2008 or 2009 how um, and but medical malpractice is always a, a big issue for me because I you know I've not had a loss I've had one lawsuit that was before EMR and it was phone call you know one of those things and and what truly happened to a patient didn't happen in our hospital it happened the week before so uh, but you never the truth never gets to the patients right you and I have had these things these these courses to help decrease our med malpractice where you know experts say you know it's not the patient that's upset with you Hal it's and me Jeff as a doctor it's usually somebody else in the family or a friend or something like that and it festers and so that there's the medical malpractice has nothing to do with truth where you and i would be happy if, if the truth came out with uh with, with medical errors and things like that when they occur um so that's where i sort of got really um uh, upset and sort of involved in that and and you know from my standpoint um you know from a doctor's standpoint we look at this and we say there's multiple issues from a doctor and a patient standpoint from a doctor's standpoint um, we will do anything to avoid going through that process again. Number one, it just, you know, they, they, it's, they, the lawyers on purpose demoralize you through the process because that's what their job is to get you to give up and, and settle or, or make you look bad. Um, and that's how, that's how they win. But, um, we go through so much, not only with that to avoid it, but the defensive medicine costs are staggering. And I forget what those are and they must be ten times what they were the last time you and I talked. We just do, we do a lot of unnecessary things because it's easier to do that than to worry about the one in a thousand chance that um, something will happen to the patient before you just do a follow-up or something like that. So there's also a big issue in states like Georgia, too, where when you have a bad malpractice environment, uh, you have lack of access to physicians. Um, you know, Mag and, and that email that we'll, we, we can talk about when I have a little bit more time to, to tell the story. Um, but there, you know, we have like 18 counties, they say, with no family practice uh, doctors at all, and about 65 counties where there's no pediatricians. So if you can't get people to come into your state uh, to practice medicine, then um, patients suffer in that regards as well. And patients suffer from from test, both financially and some tests are invasive, right? And you do a test that, that's invasive that, that could hurt a patient as well. It's unnecessary. So we have actually gone from, I think, when, when even when you and I started the process of helping out with, with the med malpractice reform called Patients for Fair Compensation, um, Georgia was actually not a bad place to practice, and it's devolved now. It's, it's actually it's uh, now named the number one judicial hellhole. And I have an article from 2020, and we were number four in 2020, so we've actually devolved to this year. We win. Uh, the, the state is the, the uh, number one judicial hellhole. Um, and that's not just for health care. So when they give the states these rankings, it has to do with businesses as well. So this is a horrible place to do business from a legal standpoint. At the while, well, at the meantime, you know the, the gov- state government trying to get all these businesses coming in for with tax breaks, the Porsches and Mercedes of the world coming in. Um, but it really is a problem for medium uh, and small businesses when the um, 
uh, when when tort is so bad. And again, you know, you you, you tell me where, where, as we go on, we can talk about specifically the types of things that, that make it hard for uh, businesses. So so our patients don't have access to doctors. The doctors they see uh, are practicing defensive medicine. Oh, and by the way, when you go to the store, you buy your Ford or you buy your car, you're paying more because those uh, companies are now paying a, a lot more for uh, tort protection as well. Um, so I think that hopefully that's the sort of the topic and the thought process uh, in, in general. Um, and I think, you know, from a doctor's standpoint, what we would want is we would want patients who are harmed by uh, medical industry, whether it's on purpose or not on purpose, but directly from interacting, that they would be adequately compensated um, if a mistake is made, certainly. And the process should not be um, so adversarial against the physician. So, you know, we should be able to, I think, uh, acknowledge when these things happen and then patients get compensated. When you and I, the final thing I'll say before, you know, you can kind of lead me is um, I remember when we were going through the med malpractice, the reality was at the time um, lawyers wouldn't take on a case um, of malpractice unless it was about half a million dollars was at least the reward because it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of finances for the plaintiff's attorneys to go through this process. So there has to be a high number. So we now have this system where people with low injuries don't can't find anyone to compensate them from true errors. And then lawyers, when they take on a case, they have to at least make sure um, that that is a, a a high case. They have to, to shoot for shoot for the stars or shoot for some crazy amount to re- even make it worth their while. Let me put some meat on the bones of some of the things that you threw out there. You had mentioned about um, defensive medicine costs when we were um, so. Just just to digress, uh, you and I, Dr. Brian Hill, and a few other doctors were very much involved in an effort. It was probably about about uh, eight to ten years ago, right, Jeff? The, That's when it started, and then yeah. don't forget Lee Gross in Florida. So this yeah. was being, or some of our Florida colleagues were doing the same thing in Florida and had the same resistance. Right. So so there was a, an effort that was put forward by a, a, a true patriot uh, somebody who has been uh, involved in um, a successful healthcare entrepreneur Rick Jackson who put up a lot of money to try to fix this problem um, as a businessman he was interested and as a um, as a uh, uh, an entrepreneur in, involved in healthcare he was interested so there were there were multiple uh, reasons why he wanted to see this system change and we got involved in it dr english and i and dr hill and some other doctors and uh, we tried to uh, um, use use uh, influence at the state level to try to see if we couldn't bring about some change and it fell on deaf ears because um, not only was there uh, opposition by the trial lawyers, but there was also opposition by doctors who were involved in the medical malpractice uh, business who thought that their business model would be in jeopardy if there was comprehensive reform. So that was that was how we got started in this. How Dr. English and I really got swept into this, but the number at the time that we were talking about for 
defensive medicine back a decade ago was about $600 billion a year was being spent on defensive medicine. And that number, you know, probably has has uh, approached maybe as much as a trillion dollars across the country on on tests and uh, unnecessary procedures and things that people are doing just to prevent a lawsuit from being levied against them. Um, you know, Jeff, you had mentioned about fewer doctors um, uh, available. Why don't you explain to people, because I, I don't think that the average listener understands why medical malpractice really hurts them. They they do understand when we talk about defensive medicine, but why are there fewer doctors? You explained that there are some counties in Georgia without primary care doctors or pediatricians, but how does how does medical malpractice affect that? It it largely is just volumes of physicians. So we are you always say we're a limited resource, and then the numbers of people that do what you and I do, Al, are even small, vastly underserved compared to just doctors in general, right? So um, when you are recruiting physicians, it's very hard to recruit to states with high medical malpractice uh, premiums. Our premiums have gone up, I think, you know, a, a hundredfold. It's, it's kind of, it, it's, uh, you know, I get to, as, as the medical director, I get to see the numbers of ours every year going up when, you know, it has nothing to do with whether we had anything, any claims against us. Our our premiums went up because as a class, neurology in the state, they just moved that up as they do with urologists. I don't know if they, they, they uh, mark you off for pediatric neurology. Um, I'm sorry, urology being different than general urology as far as your costs. Um, so it's you, it, you, it, it's an unfavorable practice environment. I know you can elaborate on this. One of your um, one of the things you loved uh, doing, and, and it does exist out there, is looking at you know the, the um, best states to practice medicine. Um, and there's different parameters on, on that. And you know, income and cost of living and things are, are important certainly to attract a doctor, but it's largely um, uh, largely due to medical malpractice as well. Um, so it's just a, it's, I think it's a, it's a numbers thing. And then if you've had a physician who has been sued and has gone through the process, um, then, you know, then those people are going to avoid, uh, litigious, um, environments like the plague. So, um, you know, so I went through this process once, like I said, 20, 22 years ago. Um, and I remember when, you know, our, our lawyers, one of the great things they did for me is always remind me that, you know, you're the expert, not this guy who's just read some things and he's thrown some things at you, this gal, this lawyer. Um, but they take you from everything comes in as accusational. They find, they'll find an expert witness to write something and say, who doesn't know all of the facts? You've seen these things, too. They do not have all the facts. They're saying this little thing, this is why everything you did was wrong. And then you have to go through this. This it takes months and it takes time away from the office and you can't. Uh, so you're seeing less patients, uh, which is a cost to the practice. And then they sit you in front of um, a lawyer that then starts grilling all of these things as to have nothing to do with what happened that day. So there's so much time away, and it's such a demoralizing experience that um, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't uh, talked to a physician uh, who, who wouldn't do anything to avoid going through that again. Um, 
uh, once they've been through it once, or even if one of your colleagues went through it, and you see what they go through, and it's just uh, it's just a horrifying uh, experience, or not only horrifying but completely unnecessary. If all we're trying to do is compensate people who were injured, just like if you know you're if you're in uh, you know a Home Depot and, and and a whole rack falls down on top of you, you know I understand there's 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 some fault there. So so we certainly think if injuries like that happen in the medical field, uh, none of us have a problem that that person um, uh, should be compensated for that for medical bills, etc. So, um, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff. I don't know when you, whether you want to get into, you know, what exactly are the drivers according to the experts. You and I are not experts. I know it, it, it uh, extrapolates to, to my field. Um, but according to the experts, there's various things in Georgia that have just rapidly made this state decline. Go ahead. You're, you're on a roll, Jeff. <laughs> So what they're describing a lot of this is, um, so, well, I, if I have time, I'll go. Can I go through the process of what happened with MAG and Patients for Fair Compensation? Do we have time for that? Um, we we certainly do because I think that again, Georgia is is a. Uh, a, a bellwether state. I think that what is happening in Georgia is an indication of what is possible and what is happening in other states, maybe not to the same extent. And some states are better than other states, but I think that there's there's a lesson to be learned with what happened in Georgia, and there's, there's a way out of this. So go right. for it. Right. Yeah, so and so the reason why we're having this conversation today is we all got that email from Medical Association of Georgia, which were members, um, and they described this what was happening in the judicial hellhole. And you know, you and I have our regular business uh, life when we're busy. So I mean, I'd heard about the environment. I see the practice, the malpractice going up, but but Mag was asking us as members to give money to help them support. Therefore, you know, lobbying. Congress and doing some things in, in the state uh, state uh, legal system to um, work on on tort reform in general, um, and of course I found that very ironic given the fact that we went through this process and um, you know Mag and Mag Mutual um, joined with all the lawyers to fight the doctors like you and me who were trying to push a system that we felt was uh, better for doctors. And and why were um, they fighting you? Are you going to explain that? Yeah, I will. So, you know, what, what happens, what, what happens now and part of what's wrong with the system in Georgia. So can, can is, I, can I, just, well, can I jump in for just a second? There are yeah. medical associations in every state. And in, um, the majority of the states, there is a malpractice carrier that is supported by the state medical association. True? And and so Georgia's no exception. Georgia has a medical malpractice carrier, MAG Mutual, Medical Association of Georgia Mutual, which was formed initially to provide medical malpractice coverage for doctors um, to uh, to cover them. It has evolved. It has morphed into something much different, much bigger. People who sit on these medical malpractice boards from their state boards, they are compensated very handsomely to be on the board. So this is a financial gig that they have going. 
and many of them retire and stay on the board. So this is a, a position in perpetuity that they are keeping going. Okay, so that's the background. So go ahead, Jeff. Right. It started off with MAG sets up MAG Mutual to support doctors malpractice because uh, of problems, you know, what, 40 years ago, Hal, something like that? More so, than that. Um, and, and then it moves off and it becomes its own entity and it becomes a business and businesses are supposed to make profit, not just support doctors, right? So, um, and that's okay. That's, we're, we're capitalists, so we understand that. But, um, but as soon as that happens, it, can set up an adversarial relationship like you describe, and many people from um, the, that get on Mag Mutual's board were Mag board members. That's a vehicle to move up there, um, and it is. I think at the time, boy, ten years ago, I think it might have been upwards of about was it five hundred thousand or two fifty or something. It was, it's a lot of money that they get paid to be on these boards. Yes, they do. Um, but when we were so so the, in two thousand five. There was tort reform in Georgia. This is what MAG, the Medical Association of Georgia, the president, all of the board members would say. We've had so many great gains in 2005. Why are we overturning the apple cart, right? So in 2005, the main one was caps on uh, non-economic damages, which the Supreme Court over in Georgia overturned in 2010. Pain and suffering. Pain, Pain and suffering. Just pain and suffering. Okay, so for pain and suffering charges, you know, they put a cap of uh, two hundred fifty or $350,000 that they did away with. Many states, that's one of the main ways they keep things down uh, is by putting caps on pain and suffering damages. Um, so that greatly limits what these awards could be. Well, obviously, the you know, the, the as you and I always say, the lawyers spend, I think, a thousand times or a hundred thousand times what doctors do on political lobbying. So um, to their credit, they lobby their own lawyers who tend to be judges and politicians at the state levels and all that, and they spend a lot of money supporting their campaign. So they are very uh, judicial-friendly and um, uh, judicial-friendly and state-friendly people at the Capitol. Um, so so that's so mag mutual kept using that um i'm sorry mag and mag mutual i guess they kept using that oh we had these awards and these benefits from 2005 legislation let's not overturn the apple card when you look at that legislation 2005 it wasn't medical malpractice how it's just like this it's 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 uh, business in general and some of that so whether you're a ford motor company or you know georgia urology it's the same you're a business and, and you've got the same uh, caps etc so once those things were were overturned, um, you know that's one of the benefits that went away. So what what we what patients for fair compensation, and I'm not saying this is the only way you solve medical malpractice, but we thought this sounded really good, and that's why we supported uh, Jackson Rick Jackson. And I can't even imagine how much money he spent in the two states trying to um, get this get this thing through. And re, he rewrote it. And then when Mag would come up with, well, what about this this this, he would rewrite it to help. Do what the doctors wanted for medical malpractice. So essentially, it was a system kind of like workman's comp, where if somebody had a claim that, boy, I don't know, something happens where you know they they uh, you know they got a cut when you were doing something, and then they had a complication of that. How? Uh, not that uh, this has ever happened to you, but let's say you have a procedure, there's something happens, and then there's ten thousand dollars in medical bills from home antibiotics or something like that, and their insurance isn't going to cover it. Something like that. that that person has no chance whatsoever of getting 
that money recouped, right? Because it's not a half a million dollar or a ten million dollar lawsuit. Um, so, so there are a whole lot of things like that that happen where a patient could just go to the system and say, "This happened." There'd be an adjudicative board that would be, you know, doctors and lawyers and, and healthcare people that would say, "Okay, that was a medical accident or a medical," or "No, that's not. That's frivolous. That ha- that was a con- that was a side effect of a medication Hal and Jeff used. That's normal. That's and, and they warned you about these side effects, right?" So and it would go from there. And if it was a medical medical injury, then um, or a medical malpractice or something like that, then there was a prefixed amount to it. So you know, losing your arm is different than having you know losing your thumb or losing your vision is worse. So it was actually predetermined. So there was almost no reason to have lawyers, except at the very end, if a patient still felt that the system wasn't paying them enough, they could still go get the trial lawyer and say, hey. Um, I think this is a bigger case. I don't think that system worked for me. So you can still go outside the system. So how would that benefit doctors? Well, 90% of it would be handled without you and me ever having to go into the system, right? Um, it's, it's handled, adjudicated, the patient's compensated, um, and you're done until unless that 10% that would go on and get a lawyer at the very end anyway. So it would be great for us. It wouldn't go to the National Practitioner Database. So for everyone, you know, if we, if we settle, if we... Um, have a lawsuit we lose, it goes to this National Practitioner Database, so any time you apply for any um, uh, license or uh, hospital privileges, you have to actually disclose that and then explain to them what happened and why and all these things. So if, if you have too many reports in that database, then some states won't even license you, and some places you can't get into because you've, you've had uh, one or two or three lawsuits. So it would keep all of those things separate. So what most of the, most independent doctors we talked about thought that that would be great. There's always that you know the little the, raise the hair on the back saying, well, what, instead of having you know like I said, I had one lawsuit 20 years ago. Well, maybe I'll have two a year or three a year, um, and that's there's going to be more of these low end things, but there won't be these massive. Um, Damages and you won't have to go through that process. So, so most of us felt, well, that's worth it, and it's fair for the patients. And I have true medical people looking at those things. So, Mag, um, Mag, and Mag Mutual were much more tied at the hip. They kind of separated themselves about two years ago, um, and and now Mag will offer uh, or will recommend other malpractice carriers. But at the time, they were kind of one and the same, right? And so Mag knew that this would go against Mag Mutual because you don't need, you don't really need Mag Mutual, or Mag Mutual would just pay, and the premiums would drop. I think we estimated, right? So for me right now, it's about twenty-five thousand. My premium would be like five thousand, and it would go to Mag Mutual that would funnel it to the patients for fair compensation, except for a few of those cases that would then go to court down the road. So Mag Mutual would lose. You know, I'm only paying them five thousand a year instead of twenty-five thousand. So you can see where Mag Mutual didn't like this, and then, um, and then Mag uh, being in cahoots with Mag Mutual, their Mag's board is about um, boy, it's about fifty physicians. Is that right, Hal? You think yeah, about yeah, 50 physicians. that's about right. Um, and and their board had to decide whether to go with this and support this plan or not. Um, and they, you know, I, I have again my experience. It got me really. Um, uh, it was one of the worst experiences of my life was a time where they asked um, Brian or I to come and give a really two, three-minute discussion at a board meeting. Mind you, I'd never been at a board meeting. Brian had, so he knew the environment. 
I had never been to a board meeting for MAG. Brian had something else he was doing for uh, Georgia, I think Georgia Public Foundation at the time. So, so Brian came late, and I think he kind of saw this, but he couldn't speak. But anyway, I was given two minutes at a board meeting trying to explain why this system was good for the doctors and why they should, should support it. So I thought going into that, Hal, that everybody in the board had already read everything, right? So we had sent everything, and Rick Jackson and, and his lawyer that we worked hand-in-hand hand for such a long time, we thought that they had had, had the board would have had educated themselves on all this, and then it turned out they hadn't. So I go in there, and I give like a two minutes as to why this is okay and why malpractice is so bad and what could happen in the future. And, and when I was done, the head of Mag Mutual got up, and he spoke for about five or ten minutes, and then the head, uh, their head lawyer, got up and explained why this wouldn't be constitutional. Blah 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 for about five or ten minutes. Meanwhile, so Mag and the president of Mag clearly knows that the best person to speak on this would have been Rick Jackson and Rick Jackson's lawyer that could have given them the intricate details. So, of course, the and then I stepped out of the room, and of course, the board at that point said we're not going to support that. So it was a total setup for me, and it was it just obviously a lot, a lot of bad taste in my mouth. And I had a really good relationship with the president of Mag, who's moved on, and most of the people on that board I know very well. But it was just you know, it was a whole setup that they did not want this system, no matter. Uh, no matter what, so um, so since then, you know the things that have come down the pike that have made not just doctor business but business in general more difficult um, that don't occur in other states um, are things like the non caps. So um, it's very interesting as I kind of learned what really is going on. Um, so some of the things that happen in our state are things um, like uh, anchoring tactics is one of the terms, right? So that's where a patient comes in, or the plaintiff's attorney comes in, comes to trial, or uh, or they're talking about a settlement, and they make this this crazy number to set to, to set uh, the stage for talking to the jury, for instance, saying uh, this person's going to have medical bills, et cetera, et cetera, ten million dollars over their lifetime. They'll just make the number up, right? And they'll they'll put in all charges that really don't exist. So there's phantom damages, right, where, you know, so let's say how you do a procedure that, that, that costs $10,000. Well, that's not what the patient pays, right? The patient pays $800. So, so, the, so the charge isn't $10,000 that the insurance is going to pay. The insurance is going to pay $800. So the real damage is $800, not $10,000. So they add in all of those things, um, and they tell the jury. So, you know, if, a, if the plaintiff's attorneys are, are, are really shooting for $5 million, they say it's $10 million and it's easier to work their way down to something like that. So a lot of times that is not, uh, in a lot of states, they don't allow that uh, kind of information to be um, uh, to be divulged to the to the group. So those are those are kind of lists of things that are here. The non caps, I think, you know, we're sometimes we're like, you know, fifty times as high. The the our double. I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember what the, the stat is. It's a double or some crazy number. What our uh, awards have been in the last two or three years in, in medical malpractice compared to other states. So that lack of cap is is, is a big issue. Um, and you know, there's a lot of states that do just what we were talking about for patients for fair compensation. They wanted to streamline the process and make this easier. You know, it just the last thing in the world you and I want how to be taken out of the office. I mean, just you know, to, to do this one hour with you. You know, I had to. I, I did a tell at seven a.m. and I moved all the eight to nine patients to noon. And at the end of the day, so for you and me to take a day off, 
um, without a huge amount of time time lead is very difficult to, to see those people because the volume of people trying to get in to see you and me is crazy. So if you could streamline that process in, in some way, which a lot of states do, um, then you know obviously that would be something that we would great uh, greatly appreciate as well. Um, some states, what they do is they'll actually sort of bifurcate the negligence versus the damages, right? So you separate that process. Is there a negligence? And then once, okay, there is negligence, then you go on to a separate group that looks at, well, what are the true damages and, and when what is the... Um, uh, what is the actual, what, what could that actual payment be? And that, to me, that kind of sounds like what we were doing in Patients for Fair Compensation. You had a group that decided, yes, there was a medical error uh, or it was malpractice, and number two, uh, now we look at what the damages were. So, um, so these things are happening in other states. One of the things I learned recently, too, which uh, I found pretty interesting, excuse me, is... Um, you know, the way the lawyers are being charged, and tell me if you knew this, Hal, but the, in some states what will happen is, um, so let, let's say the example is um, the verdict is $3 million, and the, a million of that was actual cost for the patient's health care. Well, most of these lawyers are taking anywhere from 40 to 50% of the cut, and in some states, it's illegal to take. In some states, you take a cut off of the two million, right? It's the three million that you three million verdict minus the one million cost in healthcare. So the actual money above that is two million. So the lawyer gets half of that. In some states, including Georgia, that's not the case. The, the lawyers will take fifty percent of the three million, and so that actually leaves the patient who had a million dollars in cost, the patient gets $500,000, the lawyer gets $1.5 million. Um, so, you know, there's all of these things you learn about in the states, and what you have to have is some desire at the state level to say, okay, this is bad for business, this is bad for patient care. You know, and I, I mean, Hal, you and I, work. The, the state keeps begging us to work on getting more doctors in the state. No, I mean, I have... I have I have so many um, groups from you know uh, from the AN to um, the AMA et cetera trying to approach this and, and this and at the state level when we meet with the governor this governor the last governor they're they're dying to have us try and get more doctors in the state no I mean we have as I said the numbers are so low and so we bring up this this issue about the practice environment so. Um, you know, kind of in summary, you know, some of these bills like a, a year ago that were sitting there in Congress uh, in the state, they weren't just medical bills. This was for general business doing all these things we just talked about. Um, and, um, and, and they get pulled together in these large discombobulated bills with all this other pork and stuff like that. And then, you know, so, and, and then it gets kind of um, uh, shot down because one or two uh, glitches in there. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, there's about four, four, what, four or five doctors in the state legislature. And then uh, there's, a whole, there's a lot of ophthalmologists. So um, uh, we know that. But most of these people are lawyers. Um, or there's a large number of lawyers. And so we, uh, with, with their efforts in lobbying, they're, you know, they're always going to beat us at this point. So I'm not sure me giving $500 to Meg uh, is going to help uh, offset the employer <laughs> no. contribution. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving a penny to Meg because they've, they've squandered their, their political capital as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what makes it worse. And this, is, this did not a- exist when we were beginning to work on this issue a decade ago. And that is 
third-party litigation financing. Right. And that is something that has driven this malpractice frenzy because let me let me explain to everybody what that is. So Dr. English mentioned that there is uh there are very uh few lawyers that will take cases unless they're a half a million dollars or more. Well, if you've got a case that may be a bit a bit less um optimistic on, on in terms of uh, an award um, at, but and you can't find a a uh, a lawyer to cover you and you can't afford to do this by yourself there are now private equity firms that are run by attorneys that have a substantial amount of capital that will fund your lawsuit the kicker is that they get to keep at least 50% of the award and in some cases more. So what this, um, these, these firms do and the reason why they, they, um, they will take such, such, uh, uh, generous, uh, fees for, for a lawsuit is because it's all or none for them. So they put up the money. If they win the case, then they get paid. If they lose the case, the, the plaintiff is not on the hook for a nickel. So that's, that's how they justify taking such a large percentage. But because these companies don't take these cases unless they think that's a good chance of winning them, they will, uh, go ahead and, uh, and take these cases. And, and in many cases, like, Dr. English said you'd rather just settle rather than have to go through a trial experience with a jury that has no experience in the healthcare arena and they're going to be at the um at the whim of expert witnesses who are going to try to spin the case in the worst possible light for a doctor and the best possible light for the victim so so this has really um, resulted in in the escalation of healthcare cases around the United States. Um, and I would say too, Hal, the key thing that is that those the equity firms are again they're businesses. They they want to make money, and they aren't going to support a uh, malpractice um, case in the state with negative litigation outcome, right? So they are actually, it self-perpetuates, so they yes. keep coming to Georgia because Georgia Correct. is where the high payouts are. Right. Um, and I was, I was looking at, I have one of the, one of the, uh, the Judicial Health Hall article here, and it actually talks about how um, Georgia is like the fourth, has the fourth most advertising on TV, billboards, et cetera, anywhere in the country. Um, and, and, it's, and it also talks about how the plaintiff's lawyers, they know that they know the pockets of the state where there's going to be favorable outcomes, and that's where you know they'll try and they'll try and try something in that in that area. So we've known that for years. Where you know if if there are uh, patients admitted to the hospital and a there are ten doctors that take care of that person, um, if one doctor lives in. A county 
entity that is more favorable to malpractice, that's where they they file the um, the case, not in the county where the other you know the all the ninety nine percent of the doctors that live, for instance. Um, so again, all of this stuff is just one of those self perpetuating things. And again, I still get back to the you know I know malpractice, I know plaintiffs attorneys, and I know I have a lot of my friends were attorneys, and um, you know I, and I'm I, I, I so much I'm glad we have this system when you know there is malpractice, but. Um, there's, there's, I can acknowledge. So, so the difference between you, me, and them, Hal, is you and I can admit malpractice occurs and patients should be compensated, um, but there's a problem with the system. They won't say there's a problem with the system at all. They won't do anything to to improve it because it's their, I mean, it's, it's the, the they, livelihood they of benefit. a large number of of, of their uh, of the of the attorneys. So that's so, a, and then you're not gonna, you're not going to get a legal lawyer association to back any of this either because a large number of them are plaintiffs' attorneys. So that's a great segue into um, what I want to speak about next. I'm going to bring up five terms, which are basically different but they're used interchangeably. There's malpractice, there's malfeasance, there's negligence, there's error, and then there's accidents. Right? Those are not the same. They get treated the same, however, correct? If, in fact... So the last two, I would argue... Um, happen. These are things that happen that doctors should never be sued for. But if some, but if one of those things happen and there's an outcome that will bring in a lot of money, those go through the legal system and doctors lose. So that and then I think that's the main point you're getting at. So there are lots of things that happen to somebody medical. I'm, I'm a neurologist. Bad things happen when the brain and spinal cord get injured or the peripheral nerves, etc. There are bad outcomes. And, you know, when you see that patient, how quickly you intervene, what you give them, everything. I, I, I treat multiple sclerosis. How I, I tell all my patients, I can hurt you as much as I can help you with these drugs, but 99% of you are going to do far better with it. So when that 1% happens, that's not medical malpractice. That's a that's a known <laughs> mitigated risk. Now, mm-hmm. you know, negligence. If 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 I ignore to if I refuse to follow and look for those things, that's being negligent, and that's bad, and people can get harmed. So all of the I think that maybe maybe the second one I'm not so sure about, but the first and the third are clearly things um, when, when there's a when there's a medical error, if it's if it's um, if it was avoidable. Then that's and known and and you took risk mitigation strategies against it. Then that's not well. Something well, I'll give you an example of an error. Okay, an error is if you are prescribing one of your drugs and the patient is on another drug, and there's a drug interaction, and you were unaware of that. Maybe you should have been, but you weren't. You were unaware. That's an error. That's a that's a medical error, right? An accident is different. An accident is a side effect or some other, right? Um, right. You know, a a, 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 a a something that has resulted in something that the patient has has been informed about, or is something that is unforeseen or unpredictable. That's the difference between an error and an accident. Negligence is when you know something 
and you it, it kind of ignore that 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 is a possibility or you do something despite the fact that you knowingly know that there could be a problem. And then there's malpractice, which is something that is um, beyond the standard of care that is that is harmful to patients. And it's it, it, there's a I think a spectrum where you can have malfeasance, where you're doing bad things, where you are doing unnecessary procedures to make money, or Correct. doing doing procedures that knowingly. Um, can cause harm to the patient. So there's, there's, I think there's a spectrum of things that can happen to patients that doctors play a role in, and not all of them should be treated the same, and they are. Right, right. It is true. So again, so my lawsuit would be one of those things where, um, as I said, the 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 example of so basically what I would say is if 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 I. If I give a medication and another medication the patient's on, there's an interaction that's life-threatening or it's a contraindication, then it's my obligation to, to have gone through the best I can the list of all the medications I know the patient's on, right? So the medication reconciliation, I can log into the EHR, I have the doctors, it's what the patient, if the patient doesn't tell me they're on drug X and I've looked through everything, gone over their medications with them, then, um, then, then, then I, then, then that's, that's just, uh, then that's, in my opinion, that's, that's not an error, that's not an error, that's not malpractice. Whereas if I just, you come in and I never check your medications and I give you something that's a, con- that's contraindicated, then, then that is negligence. And I think that is something that, 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 uh, patients should be compensated. What happened with me, again, was before EMR and I was told, labs XYZ were done and they weren't, but in retrospect you could tell by a different lab that the patient already had something going on from the other hospital. Didn't matter. There was nothing I could do about it, but having, I, at that time I did everything I could to understand what the lab values were when I gave my recommendation. So I would have, so, you know, we ended up settling for this tiny amount because you just don't want to go through the process. And it was such a little amount. Mag Mutual said, oh, that's a nuisance suit. Just, just get rid of it and we'll walk our, we'll go our way. Um, so I think that there is a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, over, there can be some overlap. The problem, Hal, as you know, is that, um, in my, my partner's, uh, lawyer, my partner's brother is a malpractice attorney, uh, plaintiffs in New York, so we always joke around about this, and, um, and, you know, from, from the lawyer standpoint, if there's a payout, if you say, and it's in your note, I told patient XYZ, the malpractice attorneys will turn that back around, and he always says, the brother says, how do you know they understood that, how? I know you said it to them. They don't have a medical degree. They didn't understand what you told them. So they can. They, it, so it has. As you're getting to, it has nothing to do with what happened. It has all to do with whether this has a high price tag on it, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, I have two. We we are gonna. We're running towards the end. I have a couple of things I want to cover. I just want to mention one of the things that you brought up, which are the the ungodly awards of the in the state of Georgia. Of the uh, top twenty-five verdicts in Georgia in twenty twenty, five of them were medical cases. They were medical verdicts, including 
$31 million verdict in Clayton County, Georgia, and I know what that one, I think, is. I, that one's one that ha- was a urologic case that fortunately did not involve a urologist. It was a circumcision injury in a baby that was uh, done by a, uh, a nurse practitioner. So uh, it was a uh, – I'm not going to go into what the injury was, but – Trust me, it was, it was substantial and that, that, that just, um, one, that pulled at the heartstrings of the jury and, uh, it was, uh, a ungodly amount. It was the largest award medically in, in Georgia, I think, in, uh, possibly, uh, in a decade. Um, Jeff, comment, if you will, this we've we've kind of explored many aspects of this problem, and you touched on this a few minutes ago, um, and that was expert witnesses. Expert witnesses has uh, has been a huge problem in um, in really, uh, I guess I guess perverting this this system um, and and making it something that it shouldn't be. You care to comment? Yeah, so, you know, an expert witness is somebody usually in the field, um, and and what happens is, and they are compensated, and it's anywhere, you know, medical review of records can be $500 an hour, um, you know, live can be, you know, 2500 to $5,000. Uh, a lot of these doctors are, um, it's they, large part of what they do is le- is legal work. So um, people like you and me, Hal, that are busy taking care of patients 24-7, you know, we don't have time to do this. I I've, I've voluntarily do it for my patients if, if, if need be, and we usually just like divorce cases and disability and things like that. But um, so what often happens is interesting. You get a, you get a, um, you get, you get an expert, quote, expert witness, and they make statements that may not even be the person that would actually go to trial. They they can farm it out to somebody who's going to um, review just the records they're given. The expert witness does not talk to Jeff and say, "Well, you know, Jeff, why didn't you check that lab value?" And and I said, "Well, you know, how I, I the guy told me X Y Z, and this is why I did X Y Z." You don't get to banter back and forth with this expert witness. They look at specific things. Um, I was just recently involved again a similar one. It was a business thing um, that I'm involved in, and I saw the expert witness, doctor, neurologist, MS doctor, just like me. And I said when I saw her deposition, I, I, I said to the attorney, I said, she's answering the, the opposite question. I said, that's the, the question you posed her isn't the question at hand. So, and anything, and again, when the two of us would have talked together, we would have been in 100% agreement, but they posed the question different uh, to that person. So, um, a lot of times it starts off with, you know, is, is there... Um, was there uh, an avoidable drug interaction? Was there uh, an alternative procedure, something like that? So they're again, they're just looking at records and they're formulating an opinion. And, if you, and it depends on how you approach the question. So if I'm a plaintiff, if I'm a plaintiff's uh, expert witness, I'm supposed to answer the question in how that doctor did wrong. If I'm a defendant, you're going to come at it with, "No, that's reasonable." I mean, I understand why they did X, Y, Z. You know, so it's it's a uh, um, it, 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 again, it's financial. Financially, um, you're financially stacked against it, and then the plaintiff's uh, attorneys know how to 
find people who are going to say, you know, who are going to say things in their benefit. I guess what uh, what I'm getting at is it's a very unregulated um, area, and um, there are doctors out there who are hired guns who are right. uh, are just are just bad bad apples, and um, and they they um, and and the lawyers know who these people are, and they'll seek them right. out. And right. this is something that perpetuates this out of control system that that needs to be reined in. Right, and just like the phantom damages, I'm sorry, the anchoring tactics where you throw out a number. I mean, once that jury hears somebody, it's hard to unhear it, even yeah. though you don't know who that person is. You don't know that that person hasn't practiced medicine and sees one or sees one tenth the patients that Jeff and Hal do, and isn't an expert in MS or child neurology. So, you know, once it's out there, you know that it's just a jury looking at a patient and an injury or something like that, and and you get a lot of sympathy. Right. Um, but the jury uh, hears that the they jury. are an expert, right? And so that that yeah. already colors their opinion about this doctor right. in a in a in a favorable way towards the plaintiff if this right. is if this is you know a, a true hired gun in the last couple right. of minutes you know i i want ever we identify so many issues on this show that are are um that are hurting our healthcare system and this is certainly one of those huge issues and I and I uh, very frequently don't give people any hope or any any direction in what they can do. I'll, I'll tell you what we do in Georgia Urology, and and I'm not sure that this is um, working. At, well, I think it is. I think it's working um, better than it was before. Our part in trying to rein this in and help ourselves and help our malpractice exposure is to get patients to sign a, a, uh, an agreement when they come into our practice to agree to binding arbitration if there is a, a, a medical issue instead of going to trial. And that, you know, is is certainly not the same as a medical court, which you explained and described earlier. But it's a way to try to um, to limit exposure and and give people an opportunity to still have the um, a a a claim if there is one without this getting out of control. So that's what we have done. But uh, and you can comment on that if you care to, Jeff. But I want to give people something that they can do. You know, I want I want I want this show to be a a platform for people to um, uh, listen and then react to and respond. So give 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 uh, a couple minute uh, talk on what you think about that. So uh, yeah, I think where it's hard, Hal, and I don't do a lot of inpatient work anymore, is you know in a you know place, place in some of these hospitals where doctors and the nurse practitioner are seeing thirty, thirty-five people a day. Um, in my outpatient practice, I feel much more comfortable because I, I'm explaining everything to them, and we're wide open. You know me; I don't. Uh, my, my, I usually think think out loud, so there's probably nothing that uh, I'm thinking that I'm not going to tell the patient anyway. Um, and in a process like you know, some of the hospitals do the you know admitting when there's fault ahead of time, getting ahead of it. Um, in your arbitration, I'm assuming you have somebody from your office or even the doctor talking to the patient saying this is what happened and this 
this is why, and I'm sorry, and that yeah, you go through some sort of process that way. Is that that how it works? Well, it's it's a little more complex than that, but you know, we do have people in our practice who, uh, if somebody complains, you know, we do everything we can to admit a problem and and apologize. You know, most people. They don't, they don't, they're not looking. You said it earlier, it's a family member, but most people are not looking to, um, hurt their doctors. They, they just want an apology or they want some kind of recognition that something didn't go right. And we try to provide that so that we can continue our relationship with patients. But, right. you know, I, 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 I think that patients, the people out there can, can demand more from their from their elected officials and not allow this system to continue i think that if people were to be more involved in their um health care and talk to their elected phys- officials and put this on their list of issues that that they want to see fixed i think that that would go a long way it will have to, because like I said, the, the I, and I think Mag Mutual, or I'm sorry, Mag has its own group of people who will be talking to the state legislation. That's not enough, and the lawyers are talking to their people. So you really need uh, this has to be sort of a groundswell from patients. And remember, you're not it, your 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 most re, your most recent purchase on your car was higher because of this stuff too. All of these things are baked into you know even when you go to. Publix and Ingalls, um, you know, shopping market. Uh, they have the same problem for people who slip there, and their their price your, your price goes up because their um, their uh, insurance premiums go up. Um, so you know, this is a this is a huge problem. And from a simple standpoint, it's you know, people ought to be compensated. There ought to be communication. There ought to be explanation to patients. You know, I guarantee you, even the people that ended up suing us 22 years ago, had they been able to, to talk to the, the the daughter who was angry that none of us ever saw, they would understand why this happened again prior, and they never would have thought of suing us. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I just like with your relationship with your wife, if the communication is not good, <laughs> right, be right. Problems, right? So, well, what, well, it sounds like people need to be calling their governor in every state and having the governor take this as an issue. But we are out of time, and it was a pleasure having Dr. Jeffrey English, the medical director of the Atlanta Neurologic Institute, join us today. Jeff, I hope that we can get you back in the doctor's lounge again uh, sooner than the last time we got you on. Well, that's good. Great to talk to you guys. Okay, thanks for being with us today. And thank you for being here in the Doctor's Lounge with us. And we'll be back to you in two weeks with my show. Next week, Dr. Barber will be back hosting the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.